0: Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was recorded during an employer panel discussion with guest speakers from the life sciences industry and hosted by Claudine Sutherland of the Queen's Careers team. So good afternoon, everybody, and you're very welcome today to this employer-led webinar session designed specifically for you, students studying a broad range of life science-related subjects. Some of you will have a reasonably clear view around what you want to do post graduation, and some of you won't. And either way, that's fine. What's important is that you're here and open to look at opportunities available to you um, and be as informed as possible as we move forward. So I hope you're looking forward to this session. My name is Corinne. I'm an employer engagement consultant within careers, employability, and skills at Queen's. And I'm going to be your host for this webinar session. And I'm delighted to be joined by four panellists from leading organisations in Northern Ireland and, indeed, globally, um, one of which includes Queen's. Um, And they're all recruiting a range of students from different life science disciplines, and they're going to offer you valuable insights around themselves as leaders and their pathways, in terms of how they got to where they are now, and their organisation, its recruitment plans, and the transferable skills or non-technical skills that they feel are increasingly important to their organisations and teams. So very welcome this afternoon to Francis Belden from Almac, and Melissa Kirkby, who's a Queen's University postdoctoral researcher, to Eleni Salamani from Exploristics, and to Michael McGee from Wuxley Analytics. And we're going to hear from them all in just a moment, individually, and then in a Q&A session. But before I hand over to the employers to speak, um, I wanted to run through four objectives that I hope this session will be able to give you. So the first objective is, we hope that this session will give you a better understanding of some of the wide range of opportunities available to you a graduates from a wide range of life science disciplines. Give you the opportunity to better understand some of the skills and behaviours employers are looking for in graduates, future leaders and why. To consider your own skills and how you can develop them. And also, we'd like you to take a little bit of time after the session to think about and plan some of your own next steps your career based on what you've heard of so first we're going to hear from Francis Weldon from LMAC. as I said you know each of our speakers are going to speak for seven or eight minutes each so thank you Francis, very much and over to you
1: thanks Claudine and hello everybody you're very welcome and thank you for joining this session as Claudine said I'm Francis Weldon I'm STEM Outreach Manager at Almac Group and uh, a fair number of years ago um, I was maybe in your position wondering what I would do Uh, I had uh, a career that spans academia, that spans 12, 13 years in ALMAC in the analytical department. And now I'm in the central marketing uh, team within ALMAC, which just shows that as a life sciences graduate, really the the world is your oyster and there's plenty of opportunities out there for you. Um, In ALMAC specifically then, Many of you will know about ALMAC already, but just briefly, uh, ALMAC is a global contract development and manufacturing organisation, which offers a range of integrated services right across the drug development life cycle to pharma and biotech companies around the world. We were founded over 50 years ago by the late Sir Alan Mcleay, and the company has gone from strength to strength, now employing over 5,600 staff globally at our 18 facilities around the world, in Europe, the US, and Asia. ALMAC Discovery, which is a research-driven drug discovery a company dedicated to the development of innovative and novel therapeutics and which is based actually at the Queen's University campus, is also part of the ALMAC group. So in terms of where a life sciences qualification could take you at ALMAC, I've shown here um, 14 job areas or job functions uh, within the whole ALMAC group where um, we, we have many career opportunities available. And Highlighted in purple are 10 where a life sciences qualification is often either an essential or a desirable requirement. And On this um, slide here you'll see areas where perhaps at a first thought you think yes definitely that's where I'd have thought I could end up in a scientific R&D function, maybe in quality, maybe in health and safety. But you might not have thought about other areas such as manufacturing operations, project management, regulatory affairs or even human resources or marketing like myself where it could be a destination where, where you would end up. But right across ALMAC Group, because of the breadth of services we offer to clients around the world, the wide variety of projects that we get involved in, there are really opportunities across lots of, of areas in, in both lab and non-lab-based um, career paths. To delve just a little bit deeper into particular job titles, um, here are you know two, two boxes, I suppose, covering lab-based and non-lab-based roles. And really on the left-hand side, the lab-based roles, there you will be, you know, th- we'll be thinking about specific maybe degrees that we would be looking for, for, um, you know, applicants into into these uh, career areas. But on the right-hand side, the non-lab roles, that's where we would typically maybe look for a degree in a life sciences, an engineering or an IT qualification, depending on, or just a degree. So it's just again, uh, rather than going into detail on specific roles here, although I'm I'm happy to take questions um, if, if you have them, but you know, I would encourage you to, to look at our website and do your research and try and find out about what these roles are um, by you know, attending virtual events as, as they are now, doing research on our website. All our, our job areas, our job families are represented. There are testimonials of staff who work in those areas. And that will give you an insight into what's involved in these roles so that you can do a little bit of background research and get to know um, what might be involved in each of these areas. In terms of skills we look for, um, we call them our competency. And when you apply to ALMAC, as as with many companies, you will do what's you know, have a competency-based assessment. Uh, You'll be asked to demonstrate how you show that you have the the desirable, the essential and desirable criteria as outlined in the job specification. And in these six areas here, well, the one of job-specific knowledge, well, that is something the knowledge that you will get from your degree qualification and maybe from, if you do an industrial placement for example, subject specific knowledge to to the career path in question. But in the other five areas, these are really all about the transferable skills and these you can develop both through your academic education but also outside in your extracurricular activities or through a part-time job or through volunteering for example. Almax really looking for well-rounded individuals who have the right attitude and aptitude to thrive in our business. So your communication skills, your listening skills, your problem solving skills, critical thinking, your team working skills, but also being able to work on your own initiative. And for us, as we're a service-based organization, your customer focus is, it are all really key attributes that we look for in applicants and, and on the basis on which we, we recruit staff as well. So you know, my tip would be that now you you start to build your brand yourself. What is your unique um, selling point for you? What what do you represent in terms of all of these different competencies? And think about how you can map your experience, and of which you you have lots from you know your um, degree, from your extracurricular, from you know um, sports, volunteering, part time jobs, and how they map onto competencies such as these because these are, are common across really and um, the life sciences sector uh, and something that you know certainly the careers and employability service at Queen's will be able to to help you map out how your skills and experience you know map on to the, the requirements for, for various roles. And finally if you would like to as I said I think it's always important to do your research and to build your network and to connect and um, at ALMAC we have um uh, social media channels where we post information about life at Almac and opportunities we have available, and we also have our uh, talent network where you can sign up to be kept informed about opportunities in your area of interest. So be that placements or be that graduate roles in in different uh, disciplines. So really, um, you know, I would encourage you to to do your research, learn about the companies in in this sector where you could find employment, and I, I look forward to to hopefully seeing you um, at some stage in the future. Thank you. Cool. Well,
0: thank you so much for that overview, Francis. That's really useful. We we'll see some questions coming in already, but we're going to leave them all towards the end. So um, next up, we're delighted to hear from Melissa Kirkby from Queens and Melissa's a postdoc researcher. Hi Melissa, over to you. <laughs> okay
2: so uh, hi guys so yeah as said uh, my name is Melissa Kirby I'm here today to chat to you a little bit about my career in research why I wanted to pursue a career in research and what you guys can do if you're kind of looking to pursue a career in research or a PhD so a quick background on me so I'm from a small town in the northwest of England and I went to a university called Keele University in the Midlands Uh, to complete my M-Pharm so I could become a pharmacist. So I finished my M-Pharm degree in 2015 and I qualified as a pharmacist in 2016 and I returned straight away back to Kiel uh, to start my PhD, which I did and I finished in March of this year. So um, I applied for a postdoc with Professor Donnelly in Queen's towards the end of my PhD and I joined his group in October 2019. So I've been at Queen's for just over a year now. So the research that I do at the moment, as I'm sure any of you who have had a lecture by Professor Donnelly will recognise, will have guessed, is using microneedles to enhance transdermal drug delivery. So the projects I've worked on have mainly been in collaboration with industry partners who want to exploit the technology with the drugs that they manufacture. So the picture on the screen is uh, my first ever microneedle array that I made uh, on the end of my fingertip as uh, when, I, when I first started my postdoc. So typically as a postdoc researcher, I work to formulate specific drugs into microneedles. Uh, I test their stability and then I determine whether the drug's permeation across the skin is enhanced both in vitro, so we use exercise pig skin, or in vivo using live mice or rats typically. So the reason I wanted to undertake a PhD uh, was because I was Kind of let down by being a pharmacist in the traditional sense it just wasn't quite for me so i've worked in both hospital pharmacy and community pharmacy and i felt that i wasn't really using the majority of my knowledge that i gained from my degree and um, i found that community pharmacy was quite repetitive and although hospital pharmacy was a lot more varied uh, I feel like I didn't have a lot of control because ultimately it's the doctors that decide you know what drugs are prescribed to the patient rather than the pharmacist and just personally I just loved being in the lab during my undergrad and I really missed it and I I longed to be back so that was just kind of my personal experience Um, and just kind of ultimately I felt that I could use the knowledge that I gained during my pharmacy degree much more if I kind of returned to research than continuing in that traditional role Okay so there are many pros and cons to a re- being a researcher, uh, undertaking a PhD more than just calling yourself doctor although that is quite nice. Um, so we'll start with the pros and um, so you have a lot of freedom and independence as a researcher to pursue your own ideas and um, it's very self-directed in nature, it's not an all like an undergraduate degree where you're kind of taught everything and um, you need to be in charge of your own time and schedule um, and that leads on to the second point in, in the sense that you are provided with a lot of transferable skills by undertaking a PhD so those skills are management and organizational skills, leadership skills, written and communication skills, problem solving skills and, and your patience as well they'll all be improved by undertaking a PhD and as I said they're all transferable for if you choose to pursue an alternative career outside of academia after a PhD kind of what Francis has just uh, touched upon and um, so I just kind of want to stress here that the future doesn't have to be linear for all of you undertaking your degree so I thought during my degree that by doing a pharmacy degree, that meant that I had to be a pharmacist and that's really not the case. And um, you know, you really want to think about the skills that you can gain during your degree and the skills that you already will have gained during your degree. And it's more than likely that they will be applicable to fields outside of the traditional role that you think that you might be expected to fill. And um, so though I'm in research now, that doesn't mean that I necessarily have to follow a linear path and become a lecturer. Um, I'd like to potentially move into quality assurance, quality control, again, what Francis has touched upon, or maybe even kind of a medical communications writer. So maybe looking into editing for a scientific journal. So that's just me. But you guys have a think about um, how you can apply the skills that you have at the moment to jobs that are potentially outside of the traditional role that one might follow with your degree. And moving on to the next point, if you're interesting in te- interested in teaching, um, a PhD will give you the opportunity to do that. It gives you the chance to give back and help undergraduates like yourselves, and like I am doing now, and I find it to be very personally rewarding. And collaborating with like-minded peers. Um, you can do that both within your own research group and internationally in other groups. And um, it's exciting, and you have opportunities to travel to conferences, although I say that with an asterisk, because obviously at the moment, we can't be doing that as we would like but hopefully before too long we will be back to traveling to international conferences and collaborating with peers um okay so cons <laughs> it's hard work it's hard work someone told me that a phd is managing expectations and dealing with frustrations more than anything else and i have to say that i Completely agree. Um, you can be working for days, weeks, even on a set of experiments and then they won't work and you'll be back to square one all over again. Um, and obviously that's really, really frustrating. So you kind of need to go in with it with the right mindset in order to do well and succeed. And it's a high pressure and a competitive environment. You know That should come as no surprise. You, know, you watch your peers succeed while you are managing the stress of experiments potentially not working, it's really difficult. And, and there is a higher prevalence of mental health problems in PhD students uh, than in the general population, and I just think that's something to be open and honest about. And you know, hopefully, if problems do occur, we there are um, things in place so we can we can deal with those problems. And in the same vein as the, as the previous point, it can be quite a lonely experience. Um, I'm in a group of 30 now doing my postdoc, which is lovely. Um, but that group size is quite rare. And during my PhD, I didn't have any group at all. It was just me and my supervisor. So um, it, it can be quite a lonely experience. So you wanna try and remain connected with your peers uh, in order to prevent that kind of loneliness. And short contracts. So after your PhD, it is common to pursue a, post- a postdoc, like what I'm doing now. However, um, postdoc contracts are usually only one for one year. After which, you will either apply for an extension, or you can move to another postdoc to gain research and another research experience in another field, or you could move out of academia altogether into a completely different position. Um, postdocs don't come up, up too often, and they are highly competitive, so which obviously can be stressful, especially if you've got a family and uh, you're wanting to kind of settle in one place. Okay, so presuming I haven't scared you off a career in research, and I really hope I haven't, uh, here are just some tips for those of you looking to begin a career in research. So choose a subject area that you find genuinely interesting, as this is going to carry you through the tough times when motivation might be a little bit lower. So the field I work in now is an extrapolation of my final year project that I did uh, when I did my masters at farm level. And um, so if you do have the opportunity to work on a project on your course, or you can volunteer to do some research experience during summer breaks between university, I I'd, I'd definitely take that offer. And um, it would really look good on your CV. And, you know, that's always going to help when you're applying for a PhD or any other job for that matter. Um, and research both the, the lab and your prospective supervisor thoroughly. So you want a lab where the resources and facilities required for your project are available in adun- in abundance, if, uh, if possible. And then you want to make sure you and your supervisor are a good fit. So, for example, how far into their career are they? Generally speaking, I found supervisors in the early stages of their career are much more likely to be hands on because they want to you know, publish a lot rapidly to kind of get their name out there. Whereas uh, supervisors in the latter stages of their career may be slightly, you know, give you a bit more freedom. Uh, that's just a generalization. Obviously, each supervisor student uh, relationship will differ um yeah so some supervisors like to give you more freedom so you guys just want to decide you know what's right for you as an individual and that will differ depending on who you are and what you think would be a good fit for yourself and then speak to former phd students and postdocs that come from a certain group they will give you their most honest opinion and that will help you to make uh, an informed decision so you want to be looking for a group that's got a strong track record of publishing high quality Uh, publications in good journals and just for a place where you think you will be a good fit and then so for right now if you think you would like to pursue a PhD you know work hard at your degree uh, as PhD positions are given to those who have first class degrees generally and do your research and just keep your CV up to date and you can almost always email me uh, if, if there are any questions that aren't answered today if you have any extra questions Uh, My email is on the first slide, but it's m.kirby.qb.ac.uk. And that's it. Thank you very much.
0: Lovely. Thank you very much, Melissa. And some really good um, first-hand tangible steps there. Um, guys, and also, although Melissa was coming at it there from a pharma perspective, obviously some of the stuff that she's talking about and those very general, tangible tips will be relevant to all of you, no matter, no matter what you're studying, regarding that movement on in into academia, so thanks for that. Um, we're now going to hear from our third speaker, and that's Eleni Salamani, and um, Eleni works for a global firm, exp- or local but um, growing firm, Exploristics. Um, So, thank you Eleni for coming in today to talk about your um, recruitment and your company. So, over to you.
3: Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to be here. So, my name is Eleni Salamaksani. I represent a company called Exploristics with headquarters and offices in Belfast. I'm Head of Marketing and Business Development for this company. And I'm actually based outside London, so I'm I'm UK uh, mainland. Uh, You can see later on in our slides that the team is in Belfast, but also everywhere in the UK as well. So remote working and home office uh, is an excellent opportunity for people to uh, be able to work for this company regardless of your location. Um, I will give you a little bit of my background as well, so you can see how I ended up being in this company. I have followed more of the classical route as well. Uh, I studied human genetics at the University of Cardiff, and that was my bachelor's degree. I did a master's in medical sciences for reproductive um, embryology. Um, I found my passion there. I continued to do training as an embryologist, and I thought, you know, this is my calling. I wanted to help couples and families to grow for people who were challenged in that area. Great job. Are really amazing. Um, you could see the, um, how beautiful it would be to help uh, somebody to grow their family, but also you can see how difficult it can be to do the whole cancelling process. Some things are not always very successful, Uh, That opened up my eyes on how to expand into the soft skills and communication. So it was not only the lab and bed skills that I would have, strictly speaking, coming from a science background, but how to be able to approach people, give information, uh, train others, obviously. So this is something I would like everyone to take on board and start thinking that it's amazing to have your training skills as a scientist from the university. But how do you convey your message, because that's extremely important important for your career later on. Uh, Having done my training for embryologists, I decided I wanted to do a PhD, which I did too, and it was in mathematical modeling and cardiovascular disease. Very different division, very different learning. Previous speakers have explained how challenging this can be, how much of the solitary mission, how much time and effort, dedication, tenacity that it takes and perseverance in order to be able to finish such a degree. It can take years out of your life but it can be very rewarding. During that period of time, apart from the uh, technical skills that I acquired, I learned how to collaborate with others. I realized how important it is to be able to deal with your own budget that you have been allocated from the university. I realized how important this is to vet your vendors, the providers, even from the materials and the reagents that you need in the lab. And these are things that maybe they can show you a different path apart from being in academia and following that route. There is another way into manufacturing, there is another way into dental management, for example. There is another way of understanding what it means to have a budget and how to grow your business. So all that was something that I started observing. And it was almost like a pattern recognition on what's happening around me, apart from having to do my pure research and deliver in the end. So these are other skills that I started noticing. whilst i was completing my phd it was a big realization for me that pure academic research is not something that suited my personality my being i wanted to understand how business works and this is why I applied for a position to be a senior scientific research officer at a contract research organization. So I got into industry quite early on. I learned about good manufacturing practice. I learned about good clinical practice. I learned about clinical trials, and that was where my true passion actually lied. Um, I saw that how do you move from research and development an idea that has been in somebody's head and how many years it takes to make sure that the substance that you are creating in the lab uh, from a pharmacy, from a chemist, from a physicist perspective, because everything takes a huge role into whatever we're trying to achieve and move this through the different phases of clinical trials until you have a net product that can be released in the market. And that was an absolutely fascinating uh, journey that I took myself uh, through. I moved from research and development into recruiting patients into clinical trials, monitoring and doing checks and balances and releases of stability and battery release of different products that we have on the shelves right now and that morphed me into a person that decided to move more into management and business development because you see the life cycle of how an actual business in the industry is working how competitive it can be how much you need to be current and how you need to keep on seeking new technologies and ideas so This brought me into the head of marketing and business development role that I have right now. I think something is moving quickly. I'm just going to explain a little bit about the company. So I ended up after like 15 years almost in the industry to work for Exploristics, which is a company that was uh, created 10, 11 years ago, um, we have more than highly experienced and qualified staff. The, the range of expertise is between programming and statisticians that we're, we're actually employing. But people like me who come from very different directives are supporting the company from the accountancy perspective, from marketing and also doing sales. Uh, We are leaders as exploristics in the field of uh, healthcare and life sciences. And we're also providing strategic consultancy services, data management, statistics and regulatory processes to other companies who don't have either the experience and the expertise or sometimes they don't even have the things and the time to do it. So they subcontract the work to us and we can do it on their behalf. We have different roles because we're working with different universities and you can see that within the service team, for example, we have statisticians at different levels. And as I said before, we also have programmers. All these people, they help clients to do analysis for different studies and reporting of the data. When we're talking about study design, we actually mean about the clinical trial that's taking place. For those who are not very familiar with this terminology, I will be more than happy... ...should you want to reach out to me and have further discussions, because it's a very different field... ...that people who are doing mathematics, as I said, statistics, programming... ...they don't always realise that they can be part of this amazing journey... ...of doing clinical trials and releasing drugs and medicines in the market. just to give you an idea on what a statistician could be doing in our company within any given day. They could be reading a study design protocol, they can identify different objectives and endpoints and have discussions with the clients to see what's the best approach that we need to take. There is a statistical analysis planning putting samples together, putting objectives together, understanding how the whole programme needs to be designed so it can be successful and you can deliver quicker to the client, but also bringing medicines, as I said, in the market earlier on. Um, The statistical analysis reporting is something that is extremely useful because it's, it's an amazing tool for the client, so they can make informed decisions on how to proceed and how to design a trial protocol in a better way. Our statisticians also attend meetings, they speak to clients directly and they can influence in a great way um, the whole client journey and they can influence the market on what we could be doing to be more successful in the healthcare and uh, personalised medicine sector that we are in. We also have placement students because we try to support our local environment and grow our network in a more efficient way. So we have a training plan that we have put together as a company. There are aims and objectives that are being reviewed every week. And you can see there is a SAS programming session, there are statistics and we try to utilise the resources to explain and gain further insight into clinical trials. We make sure that we embrace people, we bring them into the industry standards, always with supervision, make sure that they understand what they are doing and we help them to go to grow professionally and personally as well. So. For example, giving them the attention that they need and bring them into meetings, into a safe environment so they can voice their ideas and concerns. And also we can take these under consideration. We have seen that this is a great success because people leaving their placement students um that we have they always have very good feedback they feel that they have gained so much and they have different tools and soft skills that they have um acquired with us so when they go and work for a different company they are better prepared and they know what to expect
0: thank you yes yes brilliant yeah just keep yeah. in time thanks another couple of minutes thank you yeah
3: yeah absolutely it's all about the opportunities that we have and you can go on our website our website so you can see different careers then you can apply you can have a look you can reach out to me as i said before enjoy above all what you're doing right now and always remember that people need to finish They're learning, but actually, no, you keep on learning for life. And this is, if you're inquisitive by nature, I think this is absolutely important. Eventually, you're going to find a job that means something to you, or you can always keep on looking and enhancing and gaining greater skills. So this is where I'm going to stop. I don't want to take any more time. Thank you very much, everyone. We're always here for you.
0: Thank you, Lenny, and I'm so sorry to interrupt you there. And I didn't need to because we're literally just about to finish. Um, but I just can see lots and lots of questions coming coming through. And um, thank you for that initial overview. I'm now going to move on to Michael um, from mushi Biologics. And um, Michael, last but not least, um, and I know you're a reasonably recent chemistry and chemical engineering graduate, who yeah. can bring in an extra added value there to um, a global. Yeah,
4: locally growing um, company here in Northern Ireland. So over to you, thanks. Uh, hi, everyone. I'd just like to thank uh, everyone for taking the time to dial into the call here this afternoon. I'd like to thank uh, Queen's for giving me the opportunity to come in and speak to yourselves on behalf of Fuji Biologics in Dundalk. Um, so I'll just give a quick introduction to myself. So, as I said, I'm Michael McGee. Um, I joined Queen's in 2013, where I started studying chemical engineering and I graduated uh, in 2018 with a master's in chemical engineering. So I'm recently just graduated, uh, so I'm relatively fresh compared to a couple of other speakers. Um, but I have joined uh, Wuxi Biologics in Dundalk uh, six months ago, so in April 2020, as a bioprocess associate in our downstream processing facility. So um, what does that role actually entail? So as our site is still under construction, my role is basically focusing on uh, the designing of our process and how this is going to be implemented onto the manufacturing floor. So I'm basically essentially uh, getting the manufacturing facility set up. And um, so once the construction is complete, uh, that we're fit to start manufacturing. I find it a very interesting time, especially because I can link the theory that I studied in chemical engineering and I can see it being put uh, directly into practice within our manufacturing facility good example was last week, I was fit to go onto uh, uh, the manufacturing floor and um, we got to carry out a walk down of our manufacturing vessels. So we take uh, our P&ID diagrams, we're fit to look at the flows and understand how the process will run. Um, this was very similar to what I studied in my final year where I'd done a design project um, where I sized different reactor vessels. So this was very in- enjoyable for myself. Um, so now I'll give you a, a quick run through of um, Wuxi uh, as a company. So Wuxi Biologics are a CDMO. So they are a contract development manufacturing organization. So essentially this means that they partner with themselves with another pharmaceutical company in order to manufacture their drug. So Wuxi Biologics are the number one biopharmaceutical CDMO in China. And they're currently partnered with over 13 of the top pharmaceutical companies in the world. With this successful business plan, we've seen them, uh, seen us develop a global footprint with our headquarters still based in China. As you can see on the map, uh, the majority of the manufacturing facilities are still located in China, but we have recently invested into our Dundalk site. So this investment into Dundalk is the largest investment made outside of China by Wuxi Biologics and we'll see that on site become the largest uh, capacity once online in the manufacturing organization within WISHI. This level of investment into the local area shows WuXi's uh, success and ambition as a company to grow and it is a, ver- a very exciting time for us all. So as I said, our site is still under, prog- under construction and here's a few photos to show you of the level of progression that we're making and the timelines that were predicted. So in November, you can see we have still had a steel uh, base structure This has been fully cladded in February with all our utilities uh, installed. And we're due to have a fully finished facility in the second half of 2021. And um, so you can see on a weekly basis, the level of progression that has been made on site. And in my role, I'm fit to go onto the site, have a walk through the manufacturing areas and you can see the clean rooms really starting to take shape. And the vessels have re- recently been installed. It's uh, so all our buffer vessels and our cleaning place skids. Um, so the next part of the work is probably to see uh, the process equipment to be de- delivered on site, and then we'll start the commissioning work. So this will all take time, but it's very exciting times. So I'll just show you. Uh, I'm not sure if you can see my arrow, but this building here in the middle photo is DK2. This is where our two manufacturing facility, our processes will lie. And uh, in Dundalk, we'll have two uh, manufacturing processes. So we'll have a perfusion process. This this will mean that you'll continually grow and then harvest the process over a 60-day cycle to maximize our product. We'll then have a batch-fed process. The batch-fed process, you grow the batch to a certain volume before sending it to harvest in one go. The the purpose of having two types of uh, processes uh, allows us maximum flexibility in order to attract customers. So the site in Dundalk will be um, the biggest use or, or will be the biggest use of single-use technology and um, this will mean so single-use technology you'll have your reactor and you'll then place a single-use bag in order to fit the process and once this bag has been used you can then dispose of it and um, this allows us to be highly flexible and very efficient. It removes all the cleaning processes that we require and then means we can be as efficient as possible. It means then we can also be flexible and we can attract multiple customers to our business. So on to the most important bit for yourselves. Um, last month we were delighted to welcome our first intake of graduates to our site uh, in Dundalk. Um, and the team was genuinely taken aback by the level of talent within the group. Uh, The group of graduates are really excited and they're really keen to get stuck into work and as a new startup facility there's plenty of work to go around so there's already started learning you can see here that the courses uh, that we that the graduates have came from and what colleges they have came from as well and so there's a broad range of colleges and courses with many opportunities one bit of advice i would say as a recent graduate and new startup facilities don't happen very often so It is a great opportunity to see uh, a business grow from zero. So at the minute, we are basically uh, just under construction and within two years, we aim to be fully manufacturing. So you'll see the business grow from the very bottom till it's fully fully furnished. So you'll get the opportunity to work with all different departments. So your commissioning work, your automation, your quality, um, and even your HR. So there's multiple opportunities. So it's very exciting time. So if you want to be like the graduates in 2020 and you want to apply for our 2021 graduate program, visit my future and click on Wishi Biologics and follow the application instructions. So the closing date is the 6th of November and we'll screen all applications. We'll then be in touch to let you know the outcome of your application. And if you're successful at this screening stage, we'll share some of the detailed information with you of what to expect. For now, to help you prepare, You can expect a competency-based interview and some psychometric testing. My advice will be to get in touch with the Student Guidance Centre as I know from my time in Queens that there's some brilliant resources available to help you prepare. We will also be present at the QB careers fair on Thursday the 22nd of October so if you have any questions or your friends that have missed the call but might be interested encourage them to come along. We really look forward to seeing your application.
0: Thank you very much, Michael, and all our other speakers. I'm sure the audience would agree that the four of you brought really, really great and different perspectives there. Um, No matter what, there's an idea around you, there's no wrong path piece, I suppose. And and I think a few of you mentioned that um, the future is not linear. Um, and some of you ended up, you know, particularly in research. So Eleni and and Francis, and you come from a, a strong academic background as well. um, you know, Francis has her PhD, and then moving more into the business side of things. So I think one of the key commonalities around what you were all talking about is this idea of you know transferable skills, but also you know keeping keeping your mind open to learning. Um, and doing what you enjoy. So that's like a really, really useful, tangible takeaway. Um, and Michael, thank you for that big, big plug for the career service then at, at the end, which is which is really useful. And obviously then um, a really robust overview of the business. So thanks to you all, that was, that was so useful. Uh, we've got lots of questions coming through on chat here. Um, I'm actually gonna ask the first one because a lot of the other questions will be quite specific and we'll just get one of you to very quickly answer them. But the first question I have is, and you've all touched this to varying degrees, but if we could just sort of solidify it now, is there one skill that you feel is important for graduates to have beyond the technical? Um, And if so, is there a hint or tip um, for the audience that they could start to do, to um, tangibly think and develop on that now? So... um, I can go
3: very quickly. I would say communication, listen and observe these are like three main things it's one skill to basically being able to listen and start observing what other people are doing and that will enhance your communication because it's vital whatever you have in your head or how you are as a personality to convey that to potential recruiters but also your peers around you and it's something that we can see it can be systemic, it can be quite problematic, um, but once you realize that this is the key for business or whichever environment you are, even with family and friends, it will change you and it create a bit more of empathy, it will make you, uh, it will make it easier for other people to approach you as well. Great. And I know when you were talking earlier, Lenny. you mentioned, you know,
0: how do you convey your message? So always think about, you might have the technical view in your head, but actually how do you convey your message within the business environment? So that's, that's linked to communication. Thank you very much. Um, Melissa, Francis, Melissa? Yeah, um, I would I would
2: uh, agree in communication as well uh, in academia, you know, our mainstay is communicating through uh, writing scientific publications. And you, you gain the ability to write through writing a thesis that is kind of 70 80,000 words long. So that is your transferable skill there. And I would also say oh, just a willingness to learn, you know, um, when you get to kind of PhD postdoc level what you're working on is something very very narrow and very specific so you are not necessarily going to be the expert in that field so for my PhD i wasn't the expert there but it, it was a willingness to kind of show my interview that i'm not but i would be a good fit in the group and i will work hard and i will show that you know i will be the expert eventually so
0: yeah, yeah. communication and willingness to learn from me brilliant thank you um Francis?
1: i i think um flexibility and adaptability something around that in terms of um you know being able to be open to new ideas um being able to adapt within the workplace working in different teams different projects cuz there'll be different challenges um and just being able to be mindful of that of that and and uh, be able to reach out to others as well for support and so on so i think it's it's a it comes it stems i think from communication actually as an underpinning skill yeah. to, to hone because then the rest rest comes out of that but and it's stuff
0: that um our audience can actually you know start to think about now as they work within teams and within groups um both within their studies and and beyond with part-time work for things like that thank you um and michael
4: yeah it's probably going to reiterate, reiterate reiterate what the rest have said but uh communication and adaptability is essential especially in wishi and and we are a startup environment uh, things are constantly changing there's cross-functional work so mixing communication amongst the teams and adaptability is essential so that's what we'll be looking out for uh, among graduates so great okay thanks
0: some really good tips there from the yeah. and some really interesting commonality as well given the, the fact that your organisations are very different thank you. Okay we're going to run through some questions here and as I said there's quite quite a few and they're, they're reasonably narrow so we'll just um try and, and, and run through them quickly. So Hannah could someone from ALWAC based in Northern Ireland transfer potentially to an other base in a different country?
1: Yes that is possible Um, it depends in line with business needs opportunities do come up and we have staff who've um, gone to the US and actually haven't come back because they've settled over there. So it just depends. I myself have had opportunities to work in in Scotland and, and in the US. So yeah, depends on the the role in the business. But yes, there are.
0: Yeah, and obviously post COVID, we're talking in, in a broader. Oh, we'll
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, for one, for Melissa, um, what would you say is the greatest skill or asset needed in order to acquire a postdoc position?
2: Just going back to what I said previously, communication and and versatility, as said previously, you know, in my um, in my interview, I'd obviously done the research specific at the, uh, you know, I'd done my research specific to the role on microneedles and what you know it was going to be working in HIV medicines and stuff like that, and I'd done that kind of research, so I I knew what the role was. But the fact of the matter is you're going to be competing alongside a lot of other people that will have that kind of same experience people from professor donnelly's group that had already worked with microneedles and i really didn't have that so it's it's showing that you've done your research but also that you're willing to fit into their group into the way things work with these people and and work hard and and that again is communication skills it's written communication skills but also oral communication skills on the day so and um, yeah just kind of underpinning what i said already communication skills and a willingness to be versatile to learn and work with new people
0: and i don't know for the three panelists would we'll probably echo that within the industry so it really is um it really is across the board Um is there a high demand for folks with biotechnology degrees or biological science degrees with programming knowledge within your organizations and um, do you know who wants to pick that up first
1: or I can I can say that um, if you have programming knowledge and and, and coding skills, then uh, careers in in biostatistics and and bioinformatics in that area. So in, in in Almac, for example, within our diagnostic services business unit, in terms of biomarker software development or or um, bioinformatics, would would certainly be a, a career path there that would be an opportunity for for you because you're really using more your your coding skills, but working um, you know interdisciplinary with Biologists, so having that core biology knowledge as well is going to help you Um, and in terms of, of biotechnology well within biocatalysis whatever there would be there would be positions within there as well so yeah
0: and this this question actually might sorry Michael were you going to come in there
4: yeah well probably just like to reiterate uh, biotechnology would go straight into the role that I would do so when we're actually on the floor and start manufacturing that the biotechnology would be essential so uh, we'd be recruiting looking them biotechnology graduates as well so yeah Yeah.
0: and this question might um, follow on from that Uh, how important are silico bioinformatics based skills and are there any particular skills you really look for outside of data analysis or python
1: I, I, I will say, and I'm, I'm not the subject matter expert in this so I could become unstuck very quickly, but I would know from looking at job specifications that those skills or Python and so on are exactly, um, you know, competencies or, or uh, skills that, that would, would be looked for in, in bioinformatics roles. Um so again, you know what I would encourage is look at the, the job specification, look at, at past roles that are advertised, and again, attend, you know, careers events, such as the virtual one in Queen's on the 22nd of October, where maybe we can, you know, speak to you directly about that particular query. Also, if, if whoever's asked that question wants to email me um, through yourself, Claudine, I'd be able, happy to get somebody to speak with them um, about, about options. Great.
0: Um, another question here is, are, is, do your graduate programmes have rotational programmes? Um, in the upcoming years. Um, and I know um, guys, just to reiterate to our audience, all this information um, on the details of the graduate programmes and indeed the graduate placement rules will be put out across my future and be many ways, you know, as these rules go live on their websites as well to get further information on the detail on that. But I don't know if anyone just maybe wants to pick up I guess a new on it for now. Um, so that's whether your graduate programmes have rotational, um, rotational pieces in them.
4: Uh, I'll probably jump in at the minute. Uh, our graduate role is an 18th month, or, so you go in as a permanent role. Uh, so once you pass your um, your probation, you will then have an 18-month mentorship. Um, there is no rotation as of yet, but with the exposure um, as we are startup, you'll be dealing with all the commissioning work and you'll be dealing with all the automation quality. You'll be dealing with all the departments, so you will get a massive ex- Exposure, but there'll be no rotation as of yet. But the exposure is all
0: there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a couple of West questions coming through, saying, "Do you need to be at a various at a, at a particular point before you go out the placement?" I can first year school. So, guys, I can answer that and just let you know that you'll need to at least have been finished your your year two, and then those um those opportunities will be available for you from there. And the question around um, are careers and research accessible for ple- people with disabilities? So you know, I'm sure the answer to that is, of course, yes. And you'll have your own policies um, around that. So I'm sure you know. Yeah,
3: you probably want
0: to to agree with me on that. And if anyone's maybe got a point or two to add, I mean.
3: I can say from not only from the point of view of working for Exploristics, but I have worked for several other companies, including academia as well. Yes, we always embrace people. Everything has to do around your skills and what you have in your head. And this is where we focus and the ability for you to be able to convey your message successfully. That's all it takes. We don't look at anything else. There is a linear process and we only focus on the offering. That's yeah. all.
0: Absolutely and, and you'll find that across the board, and I'm sure thank you. Um, one more question is um, someone's asking very generally, you know, and we've talked about the fact that your graduate and placement opportunities will be um, available when they're available. they'll be up online when they're available and they'll be you know pushed out to, to all queen students at that time. But I do have a couple of guys saying, will there specifically be graduate opportunities um, in the upcoming year within your organization? Um, So I suppose if we could just even yay or nay that and Melissa you might want to give a little idea of how you feel things are are working within the Queensland Research perspective if we start with you. Yeah I mean we've just taken on
2: seven new PhD students so Professor Donnelly isn't stopping, no way. Um, So yeah it's just a case of they do come up, it's not a case that they come up at a certain time of year, it's just keep, uh, I think find a PhD, postdoc.com, they're always advertised through Queen's University. Um, it's certainly not stopping we've had to change things around a little bit with COVID happening and um, I was explaining to the other speakers earlier we are kind of working in a bit of a shift basis at the moment where we spend a certain amount of time in the lab a certain number of days a week just so everyone can kind of get into the lab and get their own work done and um, but no it's it's definitely definitely not stopping uh, not, not with Professor Donnelly at least uh, it's just a case of Finding our way around the new normal, as you know, we've been told. Uh, it's just making sure that everyone can access the facilities that they require. That's that's literally the only kind of sticking point at the moment. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Alimi?
3: Yes. Please continue, nothing is really changing and I also want to tell people, harness the power of social media to keep on finding new information and create your own network. So whether it's LinkedIn, whether it is Twitter, whether it's Facebook, try thinking in a professional manner, who do you want to connect with, follow them, create your small ecosystem and try to see what these people are doing. So from recruitment, from careers, we are here, we keep on taking people on board. There is a huge liberty now to be able to work from home, especially for programme statisticians for example because your tool and your interface is your laptop and access to the clouds or different statistical programs that you can have and that's that's enough an you ab- an, an absolute different way of working that everyone is embracing now so there are not as many limitations we're becoming even smarter on when we need to access different facilities in order to be safe and secure as human beings and not affect others so nothing is really stopping we're just adjusting
0: brilliant thank you and michael
4: yeah, so um, we hope to be advertising this week for our next uh, batch of grads and interns. Uh, our grads and interns will be welcomed next year, uh, but depending on what uh, your course makes you do and what availability for internship, we can definitely accommodate that. And I've already mentioned that there are plenty of um, jobs going and we've welcomed any talented individuals that will help us deliver our project. So yeah, in terms of graduates and interns, and uh, their applications are very much welcome.
1: Brilliant, and uh, Francis, last but not least. Yeah, same for ALMAC. Uh, we're continuing to, to grow in line with business needs, and so we will be recruiting graduates, you know, right across from, from now onwards. Um, there'll be specific opportunities for the graduating class, let's say of, of 2021, that'll come up probably uh, after January um, for, for them to start upon graduation in, in areas such as as analytical. Um, but uh, just, I think I'd encourage you, as Eleni said, Build your network, I'd encourage you to join our talent network because that's the way if you're interested in coming to Almac, that you'll you'll be get get job alerts when the opportunities come up. So um yeah, this there's there's basically going to be opportunities out there in the in the coming year and beyond.
0: Thank you. And guys, we're just coming up towards the, the end of time, unfortunately, but I think that was a really good question to end on and really good positive remarks from each of our four panelists to end on and the broad area of life sciences or industry is you know you can hear from our four guys here there's growth and there's development there's opportunities from a placement and graduate roles coming up and from a broad range of of roles within these different organizations and so that's a really positive message thank you Um, and in terms of our audience, I think you know, some of the, the key things that our speakers have been talking around, around for you, some takeaways, is to be open to opportunity and be willing to learn and think about communication. Think about willingness um, to, to learn new things and think about being flexible and being adaptable. And um, you know we wish you luck in as you move forward out into your applications and to keep in touch with the career service as you do that. Um, and via my future and with all our social media and um, we'll keep you right in terms of when all these and other um, applications and opportunities come up. Um, we do have then our main graduate recruitment and placement fair as, as um, a couple of you guys have mentioned coming up towards the end of October so if you want to hear from these employers and more moving forward then we um, hopefully that you guys can get registered and more we'll see on there. there's just some of the the Queen's um, social media tags to follow to make sure that you can hear more opportunities as they come up as well. So without further ado I'd just like to thank the four of you so much that was a really interesting discussion as I said you know you brought in some commonality but also some differences in terms of your own queer background and the breadth and depth of um, growth and development within your own organisation so thank you for your time and um, thanks to the students as well for your time and we wish you the best moving forward so all the best. Thank
3: you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank
0: you. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast from the careers, employability and skills team at Queen's. Music by Ben Sound. To access career support at Queen's, please visit our website go.qub.ac.uk forward slash careers or follow at QUB careers on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.